Welcome to the Heart of the Father podcast. We're glad you're here and able to listen in. We're praying the Lord will speak to your heart through this message and that you be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. Okay, here we are, facing the world and our enemy. Facing the world and our enemy. Um, I read a quote earlier today, uh, Mike Bickle, I want to read this. He said, it will never be easier to stand for the truth than it is right now. That is because the resistance against the truth of God will grow stronger and stronger in the coming years. And so chapter five to me, we have to handle this with sobriety and clarity. I think about this, uh, talking about these things I was, I was preparing today it excites me because it takes me back to my college days playing basketball and whenever we were getting ready for an away game and we're going to our opponent's gymnasium, we know we're going into a hostile environment. Right? We're not at our home court where we can kind of relax and we got the, 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 crowd, the, the support of the crowd and they can fuel us. We know going into a hostile environment as a team, we needed to be sober-minded. We needed to be together. We needed to have some vision. We needed to have focus. We went into those games a lot different than we would a home game. And our coach would always tell us, it's not going to be easy. you got to stick together. He would motivate us and whatnot. This is what this chapter is about. Okay, we are in a dark world, and for a decent part of this journey, uh, the church has just been, we've been everywhere, and we've lost focus. And so we're going to call us back to that tonight. So let's talk about um, getting a global perspective. So if we just take a step back, and get out of our world just a little bit and think about what's happening all across the world. We have to remember that God has an enemy and he has not yet delivered his final blow to him. And because of that, the enemy is about out and about doing uh, the things that he wants to do. But in Psalm 2, Psalm 2 paints a really clear picture, a really broad stroke of what's happening Psalm 2, verse one through, verses 1 through 3. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. So we have underlined there nations, people, kings, rulers. Okay, these are real people who are being used. These are real nations being used by the enemy and I highlighted key words. They're raging. They're angry. There's hatred, revenge. They're plotting, right? They're scheming. They have a plan. They're trying to force their agenda. They set themselves, right? They are basically setting themselves in a position saying, hey, I'm an authority. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to make this happen here. And they're taking counsel together. Okay, this isn't by accident. This isn't like, oh, they just happen to get together. Oh, they happen to be at the same place at the same time. No, this is strategic from the enemy. And they're doing all of this, let's keep reading the verse, against the Lord. Okay, this really is not about you and me. And we take personal offense to all the things that are going on. 
when you step back and look at global, national crises all around the world, remind yourself, this is a plan of the enemy against who? The Lord. So because it's against him, guess who has the final decision and what happens and what he's going to do? He does. So that's why he's our covering. That's why he's our shelter. He's our strong tower. The enemy is coming against the Lord and against his anointed, who is Jesus Christ. And they're saying, let us break their bonds, right? They're wanting to break. They're wanting to destroy. They're wanting to tear, tear down. And let us cast away their cords. <clears throat> so Satan uses every nationwide and worldwide crisis, whether it's COVID, racial tension, whatever it is. The enemy has an agenda. And he's, here's four things, just to try to simplify it as best we can here. Here's what the enemy is trying to do. Number one, he wants to thwart the will of God. He does not want to see God's will and God's purpose released on the earth. So he'll do anything to thwart it. Number two, dist uh, distract and instill fear in the people of God. Okay, he hates the Lord and he hates those who love him. That's you and me. That's the church. So he's going to distract us with whatever he can distract us with. He's going to instill fear into us, confusion, chaos, anger, hatred, offense. He's going to do whatever he can to get the church distracted and out of the will of God. Number three, he's going to continue to blind the minds of those who do not believe. He'll do that through the news. He'll do that through whatever. Whatever he can do to get people to keep believing lies, that's what he does. He's the father of lies. He loves lies. He sows them. So he wants to do that. And number four, 2 Thessalonians talks about this. He, do, he doesn't only just oppose God. He wants to exalt himself as God. It's not like, oh, I don't like God. He gets on my nerves. No, no. He's saying, I am God. Worship me. Obey me. Follow me. That's what false teachers, false Christ, false prophets, that's, they're his workers. So that he would be exalted as God. And not only that, he's performing miracles, signs, wonders. The Bible calls them lying wonders. This is one of my concerns for the charismatic church, right? We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, miracles, signs, and wonders. But whenever we look at a miracle, sign, and wonder, and we just say, oh, that's absolutely God, we have to be careful because the devil can do those same things. So what do we need to look for? Character. Humility. The fruit of the Spirit in the person's life. So people who watch all of these people on YouTube and you see all these miracles and whatever, I mean, that's, that's okay, sure. Like, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer and, and be critical and, and cynical and look for stuff. But that can't be the only sign that that person loves Jesus. Because they can talk about G Matthew 7. We cast out demons. We prophesy. We did all this stuff, Lord, in your name. And for some of us, we, we see that and we're like, wow, they must be so anointed by God. Well, do you know their lifestyle behind closed doors? So we, we have to be careful here just assuming miracle signs and wonders equate to that is absolutely God. So 
here's God's response to Satan's work. We finish up Psalm 2. God, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Excuse me? We're so instilled with fear, and we're just like shaking, like, oh my gosh, what, what do we do, God? And here's God's response to all of this. He laughs. It's like when my kids, I'm sitting on the couch, and my kids, they want to come and beat me up. I'm not, I'm just like, I'm laughing at them. I'll play with them. I'm not trembling at my kids, like hitting my legs or whatever. God is not trembling over these things that are happening all over the, the world. He's not trembling. He says he's, he's laughing because he has the final say. It says the Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall, break, he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me. He's talking, Jesus, ask of me. I'll give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. So when we step back and we think what's happening, what's, what's, all, what's going on? Okay, Psalm 2 paints a clear picture of what's happening, of what's going on. John Piper on page 23, his, his quote, he says, Satan is real. And he may have a hand in our calamities, but not the final hand, and not the decisive hand. In fact, for God's elect children, Satan cannot destroy us. And God turns all his attacks finally against him and for us. This is why the Father, he can sit in heaven and he laughs. And I was thinking about in that song he talked about, picturing Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father and how he's not going to be in that spot forever. And think about Jesus right now at the right hand of the Father. He's seated. The seraphim, the angels, worshiping him. Worthy, worthy, worthy. Holy, holy, holy. And he's seated, right? And they're, they're worshiping him and he's seated. And then one day he's going to stand up and can you imagine the fear and the trembling from angels and seraphim thinking he hasn't done, he hasn't done it yet. He just stood up. What's going to happen? Oh, no. He's coming for his bride who longs, him, who longs for him and who loves him, and he's, coming to, he's going to crush his enemies. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be glorious. So be at peace, church. That's a global perspective. And then here we are, getting a ground level perspective. Okay, Matthew 24. I want to read Matthew 24 here, and I want to replace the word will, W-I-L-L, with the word might, M-I-G-H-T, like 
it might happen. So, let's read it. For many might come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And I'm doing this to make a point here. They might come and say, I'm the Christ. And they might deceive many. And you might hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things might come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations might rise up against nation and, king, and kingdom against kingdom, and there might be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows, and then they might deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you might be hated by all nations for my name's sake, and then many might be offended they might betray one another. They might hate one another. Many false prophets might rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness might abound, the love of many might grow cold. I think for some of us, we read Matthew 24 with that word in there. 14 times he says the word will. W-I-L-L. This will happen. This will happen. That will happen. That will happen. I don't know about you, but it's helpful that Jesus tells us this on the front end, right? How many of you, if, if you go to the doctor and they walk into the room and they got 20 needles and they're saying, hey, are you ready? And they, they want to inject you with 20, you wouldn't be ready for that. But what if they came in and said, hey, okay, I've diagnosed you, you need 20 shots, we're going to go get the needles now and prepare you. I would rather someone tell me the bad news here and now, then just show up and then what's going on? You got 20 needles. Wait, 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 wait. What's going on here? Help me out. Explain to me, what, why do you have those for? This is Jesus telling us what is going to happen. This will happen. The next passage, Luke 21, and there will be signs. And he goes on to say, and the heavens will be shaken. The next passage, John 16, they will put you out of synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So I, next section here, we sometimes see these scriptures just kind of out there, but are listed 11, um, 11 things here that we are going to, we will, not might, we will, and we already are seeing some of these things in our schools, at our jobs, on TV, in our cities, at the grocery store. You will see these. But number one, you will see strong, charismatic leaders claiming to be the anointed and appointed Messiah, Savior, or hero that must be followed. There's a church down in Miami. The pastor says he is the Messiah. He is Jesus Christ. I'm, it's, the, it's the strangest thing ever. Look it up. He, he says that. It's, it's bizarre, but it's real. And he's not the only one. Number two, there are going to be, according to these scriptures, spreading of rumors false information, false narratives concerning wars. 
Well, that's already happening, and that will continue to happen. Number three, people will be deeply troubled. They're going to be in fear. They're going to be perplexed and distressed about what's happening, about what could happen, and about what's going to happen. Number four, wars touching nations and cities. Wars touching families and the lingering effects of that. Think about what, what happens to a city, to a nation after a war or even during a war. Poverty. Famines. I mean, multiple things happen. Not just a war. There's lingering effects of that. That's real. Number five, famines, pestilences, earthquakes, along with those side effects. Think about after a hurricane comes here, there's, just, there's destruction. People are absolutely afraid. They're in fear. They don't know Jesus. Number six, persecution of the Christian and martyrdom for some. Jesus tells us this. This will happen. Number seven, persistent hatred from people at your workplace, maybe your boss, maybe a family member. There's pressure, there's accusation from the world toward the Christian, right? Satan's going to try to weary out the saints with pressure, pressure, affliction, persecution. He's gonna keep doing that. He's not going to stop. Number eight, offense, miscommunication, presumption, even betrayal in relationships, right? Jesus said the love of many will grow cold. Well, what's that look like? Someone who used to love Jesus no longer loves Jesus, and they came to the heart of the Father, and they left. What do we do? And that was like one of your brothers or sisters in the Lord. You loved them. You cared for them. That's going to happen. Number nine, false teachers trying to deceive, distort, and draw away the people of God toward themselves and the spiritual confusion that, that lingers around that stuff. It, is, it, it can get really, really confusing. When deception's at play, he said, she said, but then I thought I knew this person, I didn't know this person. That's difficult to navigate. It's not easy. It's not just black and white. That's going to be happening. Number 10, lawlessness, anarchy, rebellion in cities, in towns, in schools. Number 11, love, charity, and care becoming non-existent in many cultures and cities. Right, greediness, selfishness. That stuff will be common. I know this feels like depressing, feels like, oh my gosh, like what but here's the thing, guys, we, we need to be ready and have a response for this. Jesus, he is the answer. So question is, whose hand is at work behind these things? What effect will this have on the believer? What effect will this have on the church? And what will be our response? Well, I'll tell you one response that we cannot have, we cannot hide. 
Hiding is not an option. Just hoping, I, I hope we don't have to go through that. I just, I don't want to see that. And oh no, that's not an option. We need courage. We need Christian godly courage to jump in, to get in the game. This is why, this takes me back to my basketball days. My coach would tell us, in the away game, if we're, we're getting beat at halftime, we come in at halftime. He's like, he'll, first he'll say, what did I tell you guys? He's like, I told you. We're coming in their territory. What, you thought it was going to be easy? He's like, no, I told you guys. So it's like right now, the church, we need a holy, t- we need a halftime. Halftime. Okay, Jesus comes in. He's going to say, hey, hey, what did I tell you guys? I told you, like, it's going to be hard. I told you there's going to be trouble. And instead of standing there, you're in shock and you're stunned. And you know what to do. He's like, that's not the answer. No, no, no. The world should be stunned. They should be shocked. They shouldn't know what to do. But as the church, we have the answer. We have the hope of the nations. We can tell, hey, 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 man. So the Bible talks about this. Love growing cold. Nations going to war. The Bible talks about this. I remember I had a conversation with one of my buddies from the college days. This was probably a couple of years ago. We're talking about politics and all this stuff, and he was talking about um, wars and things happening across the world. And, and I mentioned, and he's he's not a believer. And I said, "Yeah, man, you know the Bible talks about that." And he's like, "Really?" I'm like, "Yeah, like Matthew 24, wars, nations fighting." And I said. Jesus said it's going to happen, and he's called his people to be prepared for it and to be ready to preach the gospel, and we had a conversation about this, and as we're conversing, he, he literally, he's, he's telling me, he's saying, man, like, he's like, well, I didn't know that, like, that's crazy. He's like, that makes me want to read the Bible, and I'm like, yeah, man, you should. You should read the Bible. I said, it talks about it, because he, he's trying, he's searching. What, why is wars? What, what's going on? This world's crazy. He's searching for answers. And sometimes we act like the Bible didn't say that. And we're like, well, we don't know either. And it's like, no, we do know. This is going to happen. So the spiritual atmosphere of the church in the midst of demonic assault and worldly pressure. Okay, so I get that out there it's going to look like whatever it's going to look like. But in here, in the church, it should look countercultural. It should look like the complete opposite of chaos, confusion, deception, worldliness, sin, all of that. People should come into the church and be in awe and wonder, like, what? This is really strange. Here are some some. Descriptions of what should be present in the church. Number one is the power of God. And why should the power of God be present? Because we're a weak people. Not because we're so strong, right? Second Corinthians, his power is perfected in what? Weakness. We have to be okay being weak. When we are weak, his power is present. But when we act like we can do it all and we can fight everyone, he'll let us do that for a little bit. But I want to be found on my knees 
dependent on the Lord, needing his power so that when situations arise, he can do what he wants to do through me. And I'm not caught up in all this pride and arrogance and thinking I'm just the anointed, appointed man of God. Number two, joy. Right? James talks about count it all a joy when you go through various trials. Number three, hope. Go with me to Romans chapter five. Let's read this. Hope is not wishful thinking. It's not a maybe. Hope is connected with the word confidence. Romans 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice, there's the word joy, in hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, and not only that, we also glory in what? Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. So we glory in tribulations because we know, we are confident, we're sure that what we go through is producing perseverance in us. And when we have perseverance, that produces character. And because we have character, we have a confident hope. And this hope does not disappoint, verse 5, because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. This isn't a wishful thinking. This is we are rooted and grounded in God, and because of that, we have hope that he has a plan and that he is working it and he is doing what he needs to do. Number four, in the church should be a culture of prayer and worship. Revelation 4 and 5, worshiping Jesus, not ourselves. We had one of the most amazing comments from a Southeastern student a couple, a couple days ago that we had him in our house, and he said, uh, he said, man, I love to worship here. He's like, I noticed, like, he said, I noticed none of the songs are about ourselves. I love that. I'm, I'm impressed he actually noticed it, to be honest. In the culture we live in now, it's me, 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 and me, 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 and I, I. And he's like, no, I love that. There weren't any songs about, like, me. It was about him. And so when believers or non-believers come in here, they should be like, wait, who? Man, like, okay, you're, you're talking about him up there, not yourself. We're like, yeah, we, hey, I have been crucified. It's not about me. It's about him. Jesus said, too, his house will be a house of prayer, Mark says, for all nations. Number five, bold proclamation of the gospel. The church, the whole church, not just a couple of people who have the microphone. The whole church boldly proclaiming Jesus Christ and his good news. Number six, Light and truth. Go to John 17. Let's read this together.
John 17, verse 14. Jesus, the high priestly prayer, he says, I have given them your word. He's praying to the Father. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. Uh Uh-oh. Hiding is not an option. Jesus just prayed that the Father would not take us out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. God will keep his people. You know why I know? Jesus prayed that. And his prayers get answered. My prayers sometimes, I don't know if they get answered. But Jesus' prayers, they get answered. Verse 16, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, uh uh-oh, no he didn't. I also have sent them into the world. So not only is he not going to pray that the Father would take us out, he's praying the exact opposite. Lord, actually, Father, send them out there. Tell them to go. So you should not be afraid to go to work knowing it's a hostile environment. You should not be afraid to go to the grocery store knowing that trouble may lie ahead. Why? Because Jesus prayed, Father, get him out. Spread him. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Why does Jesus want to get us out there? Because we carry the light, we carry the truth. It needs to get out there. It just can't hiding, there's my little light, there's a little truth, and no one's going to come near. No, he wants you to share it. Let your light shine. Number seven, love and oneness. In the church, love should be flowing, should be growing. Oneness with one another, unity. This is what this, is, this whole session is about, this material. The unity of the spirit. And then number eight, The church should be a place of peace, not chaos, not troubles and just confusion and all the stuff that we we get into. We get in these swirls and we just, we're like wandering around and we're just like so, we're everywhere in our lives. The the church should be a place where it's, it's, it's simple, it's peaceful, it's rest. It's like you shouldn't have to come out of warfare out there and come in here and there's more warfare and then you go home and there's more warfare if you can handle that then you praise God I bless you but I don't want that my house is going to be a place of peace and I believe the church should be a place of peace that means you have to be a person of peace So the church overall here, the church should be a place that's saturated with the presence of God. Acts 9, next page 25, the churches throughout all Judea, I love this passage, Galilee, Samaria, had peace. They were edified, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. 
they were multiplied. Okay, so we describe what it should look like in here. Okay, what should it look like out there? So as you go out and about, your work, your job, your school, there should be certain characteristics that, um, that you carry, that you display. And I want to, if you guys can help me pass this out, I want to uh, read, it's from a book called The Religious Affections by Jonathan Edwards. And before you get reading, I'm going to read a couple sentences here in this book to give a little context. But in this book, he's talking about the distinguishing marks of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. In the first Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards saw some things that he, was, he never had seen before, so he's a little sure. Is that, was, was that of God, or was it not? <clears throat> and in one of the chapters, this is not on your paper, but he's talking about, he says, uh, calls it, gracious affections or things that are truly born of the spirit but he says truly gracious affections are attended with lamb-like dove-like spirit and temper of Jesus so anything that's truly born of the Holy Spirit in your life will be lamb-like and dove-like and he goes on to say this is not on your paper just yet But he says, the spirit that descended on Christ when he was anointed of the Father descended on him like a dove. The dove is a noted emblem of meekness, harmlessness, peace, and love. So he's talking about the Holy Spirit on you. He is an emblem of peace, love, things like that, harmlessness, etc. And then on your paper, on page 277, I tried to put a little asterisk where we're going to start reading. I believe this paints a beautiful picture of what Christians should look like in a hostile environment. So he goes on to address this issue. He says, but here some may be ready to say, is there no such thing as Christian fortitude or Christian courage? In boldness for Christ, being good soldiers in, in the Christian warfare, and coming out boldly against the enemies of Christ and his people. So what's he saying? He's saying, so yeah, we're supposed to be gentle, Christ-like, dove-like, spirit-like, lamb-like. Well, is there a place for being a good Christian soldier? Because they almost seem like they're on two different sides, pinning against one another. He addresses that, and he says, to which I answer, there doubtless is such a thing. The whole Christian life is compared to a warfare, and fitly so. The most eminent Christians are the best soldiers, endued with the greatest degrees of Christian fortitude. It is the duty of God's people to be steadfast and vigorous in their opposition to the designs and ways of such as are endeavoring to overthrow the kingdom of Christ and the interests of religion. But yet many persons seem to be quite mistaken concerning the nature of Christian fortitude. So many people seem to be confused about what it means to be a Christian soldier. And I, I see this. So we want to be a soldier for Jesus. 
So we think yelling at people, screaming at people, wanting to start a fight with people, that's part of being a Christian, good Christian soldier. He says, it is an exceeding diverse thing from a brutal fierceness or the boldness of beasts of prey. True Christian fortitude consists in strength of mind through grace exerted in two things, in ruling and suppressing the evil in unruly passions and affections of the mind. So he's talking about dealing with self. There's some unruly evil things that want to rise up within you when you see injustice. And two, and in steadfastly and freely exerting and following good affections and dispositions without being hindered by sinful fear or the opposition of enemies. In other words, allowing the Holy Spirit through good affections flow forth out of you. Let's keep reading here. It gets, it gets really good. He says, but the passions that are restrained and kept under in the exercise of this Christian strength and fortitude are those very passions that are vigorously and violently exerted in a false boldness for Christ. And those affections that are vigorously exerted in true fortitude are those Christian, those Christian holy affections that are directly contrary to them. Though Christian fortitude appears in withstanding and counteracting the enemies that are without us, yet it much more appears in resisting and suppressing the enemies that are within us. So he's saying we think the enemy is out there standing in front of us cussing at us. That's not your real enemy. The real enemy is the hatred and the anger within you that's trying to come out and you want to scream at them and cuss them out. That's your enemy as a Christian. It's not them. Because they are our worst and strongest enemies and have greatest advantage against us. The strength of the good soldier of Jesus Christ appears in nothing more than in steadfastly maintaining the holy calm, meekness, sweetness, and benevolence of his mind amidst all the storms, injuries, strange behavior, and surprising acts and events of this evil and unreasonable world. Next paragraph. The directest and surest way in the world to make a right judgment of what is a holy fortitude in fighting with God's enemies is to look to the captain of all God's host and our great leader and example and see wherein his fortitude and valor appeared in his chief conflict and in the time of the greatest battle that, was, that ever was or ever will be fought with these enemies. When he fought with them alone and of the people there was none with him. He exercised his fortitude in the highest degree that ever he did and got that glorious victory that will be celebrated in the praises and triumphs of all the host of heaven throughout all eternity. Behold, Jesus Christ, in the time of his last sufferings, when his enemies in earth and hell made their most violent attack upon him, compassing him round on every side like rending and roaring lions, Doubtless here we shall see the fortitude of a holy warrior and champion in the cause of God in its highest perfection and greatest luster or splendor. An example fit for the soldiers to follow that fight under his captain. 
But how did he show his holy boldness and valor at that time? Not in the exercise of any fiery passions, not in fierce and violent speeches, vehemently declaiming against the intolerable wickedness of, of opposers, giving them their own in plain terms. But here's how he did it. And not opening his mouth when afflicted and oppressed and going as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, not opening his mouth, praying that the Father would forgive his cruel enemies because they knew not what they did. Not shedding others' blood, but with all conquering patience and love shedding his own. Indeed, one of his disciples that made a forward pretense to, bold, to boldness for Christ and confidently declared that he would sooner die with Christ than deny him, began to lay about him with the sword. But Christ meekly rebukes him and heals the wound he gives. Never was the patience and meekness, love and forgiveness of Christ so gloriously manifest as at that time. Never did he appear so much a lamb and never did he show much of the dove-like spirit as at that time. If therefore we see any of the followers of Christ in the midst of the most violent, unreasonable, and wicked opposition of God's and his own enemies, maintaining under all this temptation the humility and quietness and gentleness of a lamb and the harmlessness and love and sweetness of a dove, we may, judge, we, we may well judge that here is a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And one more sentence, he says, when persons are fierce and violent and exert their sharp and bitter passions, it shows weakness instead of strength and fortitude. I know that's a mouthful in old English in a sense, but what he's saying is dove-like, Christ-like, spirit-like. It looks like gentleness, meekness, kindness, in the face of evil, hatred, hostility, that we respond in the opposite spirit that people are operating against us. And so, what are some qualities that we should have as we go out there? Number one, grace-filled speech. Colossians talks about this. Colossians 4, I want to read it to you. Colossians 4 says, verse 5, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each one. Number two, reasoning that's based on the truth. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter three, verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to, to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. In other words, what do you have a reason that's ready, that's on hand when someone asks you, why do you have the hope that you have? In other words, hope should be radiating, radiating off of us and people asking us, what, what is it about you? And you have a reason. You have a testimony. 
Your testimony is your reason. Number three, good conduct. <clears throat> okay, this one's huge. This, I, this might be, you guys, just being honest with you, one of my pet peeves is uh, bad conduct in front of non-believers. Go to 1 Thessalonians with me. Chapter four, just feel like this is a big deal. Most studies and and polls, and Barna did one, uh, and they're asking non-believers how they view the church. And the most dominant view they have towards the church is that we're hypocrites. We say one thing, oh, I love you, (laughs) and then we stab each other in the back. Oh, I'll always be there for you, and then we gossip about them. That's how the world views the church mostly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, he says, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. I don't know if I've heard these two verses preached here. Verse 11 and 12 that you also aspire to lead a quiet life. To mind your own business. <laughs> Is that what yours says too? Yeah, yeah. To mind your own business and to work with your own hands. You know what's interesting about this, this section here? If you go and look at chapter one, chapter one, Paul is commending this church saying, this, you guys are so awesome. The word of the Lord is de- being declared from your church all around the region that I'm actually hearing about it. So this wasn't some quiet church that's hiding out, that's just like, let's just hide, guys. We're, we're afraid. Let's be quiet. No. He, he says, the, he says um, from, from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achai, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. So in other words, this church is boldly declaring the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're doing that on one hand, and guess what? They're living a peaceful, quiet life, minding their own business, working with their own hands. What a beautiful example of a spirit-filled Christian. That is what it looks like. And he goes on to say, verse 12, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, that you may lack lack nothing. So being loud, being obnoxious, not working, but always asking people for money, but then saying, but yeah, I'm just preaching the gospel. No, no, work with your own hands, live a peaceful, quiet life, mind your own business, quit being a busybody, and you can do that and preach the gospel. You don't have to forsake one or the other. Do both. The church in Thessalonica is a beautiful example of what the church should be doing. Okay, uh, number four, we'll keep going here. A heart prepared to suffer. If you flip over to chapter three, Matt, you sent me this earlier today. and Go to First Thessalonians chapter three. So Paul was wanting to get to this people, and he says, and he couldn't get there, but he says, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it'd be good to be left in Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, 
and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you, to encourage you concerning your faith. Verse three, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Appointed to what? Afflictions? You've been called to that. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened and you know. All right, I've already told you guys suffering is gonna happen, persecution is gonna happen, so don't be surprised. It's gonna happen. So a heart that is prepared to suffer, not for wrongdoing, but for right doing, which makes it, honestly makes it hard because you're like, I did everything right. Like I didn't, I didn't do anything wrong. Well, Jesus knows what that feels like. Number five, compassion. A heart of compassion. That's one of the, one of the dominant emotions that Jesus felt when he looked upon the multitude. Compassion. He cared about people. Number six, wisdom. We need wisdom. You need wisdom as you're out and about. We went to a couple of weeks ago. Um, I want to read Proverbs 9, verse 7. We were out um, on Massachusetts. They had this whole ordeal where drag queens wanted to receive gifts for, for children, and they wanted to read to children, and they're receiving donations. It was a back-to-school event. And so we go out there and wanted to share the gospel, right, and, and, and reach out to people. And first it was good, sharing the gospel, striking up conversations. I had a conversation with a young man and um, able to hear some of his story. Um, and he shared, some of his, he shared some of his story, I shared some of my story, just connecting with him, asked him if I could pray for him. He said no, and I said, okay, that's fine. I said, I'll just I'll pray for you on my own. Um, and he was raised in the church. He knew the whole thing. And so um, overall, it was a good conversation. I got to talk with some others. And then a few minutes later, there came this group, Christian group, who came with megaphones and signs that were saying pretty much God hates you, LGBT, hates you, drag queen, person, just coming out, guns blazing. And so they come on the scene, and all of a sudden, it was a semi-peaceful uh, atmosphere, but when they came on the scene, it just blew up to where, okay, can't show the gospel anymore, everyone's got their guns out, our work it was done pretty much there. It was done. And I noticed when the atmosphere shifted, I knew that this is not the right place and time to share the gospel because everyone's ready to fight. And here's what Proverbs 9 says. It says, he who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself, and he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. And Jesus talks about not putting, throwing your pearls to pigs. Okay, what this is not saying is that you should never share the gospel if it's somewhat dangerous and difficult. It's not saying that because we're called to do that. But there are going to be times you're going to find yourself in a situation, in a conversation where guns are blazing. They're screaming, yelling, ready to fight, throw down like they were out there. Wisdom says, it's okay. 
Just pray and go home. Pray for them. And I, honestly, I was discouraged. I'm thinking these, these Christians who came on the scene later on, I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, here we go, right? They need to read some of this right here. Dove-like, lamb-like spirit. Number seven, a voice of light and truth in dark places. God has equipped you to be a voice of light and truth in the midst of darkness. And number eight, humility. Titus 3.2, it says, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Okay, we never are granted permission by God to not act in humility. He doesn't say, okay, you don't have to be humble now. They're, they're being prideful, you get to be prideful back. No, he says, they're being prideful, you get to be humble. Isn't that exciting? You get to do what's right, and you get hated for doing what's right. They get off the hook. I mean, alert, guys, we're not in a fair, it's not a fair fight we're in with the world. They get to do whatever they want to do, right? But we get to exercise restraint and self-control. So it's not going to feel fair. It's not going to be fair. But that's not the point. The point is being fair, then yeah, we will just shoot back at them and guns blaze them and hate them and want to kill them too. But what did Jesus do? He was silent, a sheep before its shears. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Anytime I interact with someone who doesn't know Jesus, my lens I see them through is brokenness. They're broken. They're not going to say the right stuff. They're not going to know the right stuff. They're broken. So I don't have an expectation. They, they're just perfect and they're godly and they're going to do everything. No, they're not going to do much of anything right. That's okay. Humility. Number nine, you should have a spirit of prayer coupled with diligence in sharing the gospel. <clears throat> Number 10, resistance to worldly demonic agendas. There's going to be times where we do have to, we and you have to stand boldly in the workplace, in the marketplace, against demonic things. That's okay. Stand with courage. Stand with confidence. And number 11, sacrificial love. You have to be willing to lay down your life for those who do not know Jesus. It's John three sixteen. Jesus laid down his life for his enemies. Guess what we get to do? Lay down our lives for our enemies. Okay, next section. We won't get into that um, all the way, but church militant, a word about spiritual warfare. <clears throat> I think it's really important to remember, okay? Nowhere in the New Testament does God give us permission to chase and run after the devil. I'll say it again. We are not given permission to through prayer, whatever, chase and run after and try to find the devil and turn over, like, no. What we are called to do with the devil is to stand our ground and resist him. So this idea, Christians just running around wanting to fight the devil, think they can just, you know, do whatever they want with the devil, that's prideful. That, you're not being, First Peter talks about being, being sober-minded, that's not sobriety, that's pride. And when you walk around in pride, you're opening yourselves up to the enemy's attack because you left the covering of God and you think you can do what you want to do. 
That's not it, church. But there's, a, there's some biblical principles for spiritual warfare. I almost feel like we need to relearn spiritual warfare. We've gotten off in la, 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 this crazy spiritual stuff that I'm like, I don't know if that's, that's warfare anymore. We are to stand our ground, resist the devil, submit to God, and the enemy will flee from us. Let's just keep, can we just keep it right there? The very bottom there, Second Peter. Peter says, church, nevertheless, we, according to God's promise, we look for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, because of that, beloved, look, looking forward to these things, guys, please be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. When Jesus comes back, how will he find you? The nations are raging, they're warring, they're plotting, they're scheming, they're doing their work. Will Jesus find you and I in peace? This takes us all the way back to chapter one. Do you have peace with God? Do you have the peace of Christ dwelling, residing, abiding in your heart? Well, here we are. My prayer is that as a church, we would be more prepared than when we first started this series for conflict in our hearts, in our relationships with leaders, with the world, with our enemy. I, I, I want to see this community a place where Jesus is truly leading us. And we know that because we see the fruit of the Holy Spirit in this place. That we are abiding in him and he's abiding in us. No matter what happens around us. So I'm going to pray and then um, we can be officially dismissed. If you have any questions or um, any thoughts, feel free to come see me afterward. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and in this community. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in your church all across the world. God, I pray that you would raise up a church that is equipped for conflict. Would you make your bride ready? Would you remove spots and wrinkles and blemishes? And would you pour forth your love in our hearts that we would love you and be solely devoted to you, that we would be committed and follow you and look like you and act like you and talk like you and walk like you, Jesus. 
We need you. Would you come and manifest who you are in us and through us that no matter what is happening around us, we look like Jesus, that we would be part of the message to people. We would be able to say, look at my life. It looks like Jesus. I'm an example of Jesus. Lord, would you help us by your spirit? Would you sanctify us? Would you transform us? Would you release your grace over your church? Would you cause her to be ready? We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning or other weekly gathering, know that you're more than welcome. And if you'd like other resources on or about this ministry, or for any deeper questions you may have, be sure to visit our website at hotfmlakeland.com.